You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. in Mark, Scripture tells me that if I don't know what I'm saying, if I don't know what I'm supposed to say, I'm supposed to open my mouth and the Spirit of God will speak for me. What I need is take a step of boldness and open my mouth and then let God speak boldly. And that's obeying God's Word. And that's what we're called to do. We teach it here a lot and we love the Word of God. Oh my gosh, we love the Word of God. And we teach it and teach it and teach it and there's a reason for that. Time has come for us to begin to obey what God has called us to do. Do you ever feel intimidated by the idea of sharing the gospel because you can't imagine what you'd say to someone? God's Word says that He will give you the words to speak if you obey His command to tell the world about Him. In today's message, Pastor Dave will show you that you have all you need to obey God's Word. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8 as he continues his message, Reading and Understanding the Word of God. The Bible is a giant mirror. This is what James said. The Bible's a giant mirror. And when you look in it, we're shown the things that we need to get rid of. That's what the Word of God does to us. And His Spirit works in us and begins to correct us. And what does the Bible do for us? Well, Paul told Timothy this in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. He said, Paul told Timothy, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves Teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned to fables. Wow. Wow. So we teach the word of God. He said reprove, which simply means admonish or convict. He said rebuke. It's a charge. Rebuke. Don't do that. You have to follow the word of God. Exhort, which is a strong encouragement. And this is what's happening in the next part of Nehemiah. This is what's happening here. Now they've read the word. They understand the word. It's come into their heart. It's quickened their heart. There is conviction. They know the word of God. And now they find out, wait a minute, there's something we have to do. We've got to do something. We don't have to take God's word at its face value and we have to apply it to our lives. We have to be obedient to God's word. The word was doing a great work in the heart of the people. So they had to realize that. Let's look at 13 through 15. Now, on the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses and the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle trees, branches and palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths as it was written. I think it's important. This is a good thing for anyone who wants to be a leader. Leaders need to understand the word of God. 
Leaders need to walk in the word of God. Their ignorance or disobedience to the word of God affects many, many more people than just the leader because they could lead people astray. It affects everyone that they have influence on. That's why Paul said to Timothy to study to show yourself approved, to study God's word and let it be in you so that you can show yourself approved, a workman worthy of his hire. Show yourself approved. So the first day they had this great big Bible conference, the second day they're all sitting around and they're looking at this and somebody probably said, "Uh uh-oh, what about this? What about this law? They found written in the law of Moses, which the Lord had given him. And this is beautiful. It's simple obedience. Their attitude was, I love this. Their attitude was, God said it, we need to do it. I love that. How simple is that? God said it, it needs to be done. I just love that. What did Jesus said? Love your neighbor. Jesus said it, we need to do it. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Jesus said it, we need to do it. It's as simple as that. These are simple things. Their attitude was, if God said it, we should do it. Even though tradition did not tell them to keep the Feast of... Talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, by the way. It had not been done since the days of Joshua, they said. But they relied on God's word, not on tradition. I love that. I love that. Because if you know, in Jesus' day, Jesus railed at the Pharisees for doing what? Relying on their traditions and not the commands of God. These guys were relying on the commands of God in his word. They were relying on that. This particular feast is called Sukkoth, or the Feast of Tabernacles. It takes place in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, somewhere around September, October, somewhere in that area. They make booths, and they move out of their houses, and for a week they live in these little tiny booths that are made out of branches. Now, they made the branches. They tried to leave enough space in the walls so that the wind could come through without blowing the thing apart. They hadn't even enough space on the roof. And they would lie there at night, and they would look up at the stars, and they would commune with God. It was a wonderful thing. The purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles was to remind them how much God had preserved their fathers, their forefathers, in the wilderness for 40 years when they were wandering. That's why they make the booths. Your fathers dwelt in tents for 40 years. Now you're living in the land of God that promised. You're living in a house and all. And your plaster houses and all this. So in order that you might remember, you need to go out and for a week live in almost like a tent made out of branches. You're going to remember what God had done for your forefathers. They move out and they live there for a week. It reminds them that God's preservation of their fathers for 40 years You've read the scripture. Forty years they wandered in the wilderness. Their clothing never wore out. Their shoes never wore out. There was water when they needed it. There was manna every morning. There was quail. There was a cloud by day, a fire by night. They were provided for constantly for 40 years. God wanted them to remember that. And they became obedient to God's word. They became obedient. There's a twofold aspect of the Feast of the National. Feast in tents and remember what their fathers did in the wilderness. God had been faithful to them and he had kept all the promises that he made and he wanted to show them that. And he wanted them to know how faithful he had been and remember his faithfulness. You know, we talk a lot about keeping a gratitude list. We talk a lot about keeping a journal. We talk a lot about writing things down and then looking back and seeing just how faithful God has been to you. 
I look around this room and I can tell you God has been faithful to all of you in so many different ways. In the same way, but yet in different ways. In many different ways, God has been faithful. He's always been there and he continues to be faithful to you. Even when you're faithless, God continues to be faithful. Now, during the time of Jesus... They celebrated this particular feast by a daily procession of the priests from the Temple Mount down to the Pool of Ceylon, where the priests would fill these great big giant water pots, and they would walk back in ceremonial fashion up to the steps of the temple, and they would pour the water down the steps of the temple. As the people gathered, they were worshiping. The priests would pour the water drugs out and let it splash all over, just to remind people that God was a provider who provided water out of the rock in the wilderness to their fathers. You can read all about that in Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would sing worship to song as the water was poured out during the days of the feast. They did that for seven days. The feast lasted for seven days. On the eighth day, there was no water in the jugs. They didn't do that. There didn't go pouring water. This was to commemorate that God had brought them into the promised land. There was no more need for God to provide for them because now they were in the promised land. It was a miraculous thing. Now they were dwelling in the land that God had promised. On the eighth day, they didn't pour the water out to acknowledge that God had kept his covenant with Abraham and kept his word with their fathers and brought them into the land. In John chapter 7, Jesus goes to the Feast of Tabernacles. It's in John chapter 7. He shows up at the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's on the last day. It's on the last day when there is no water in the jugs. There's no water in the jugs. And he's there. And this is what happens in John 7, verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In other words, the whole thing here is torrents of living water. Torrents of living water will flow out of their lives. Torrents. Those who have spiritual thirst for God. Spiritual thirst, hungering for God and thirsty for God. He who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be filled. Those who thirst, Jesus says, come to me. Jesus was saying, I am the rock out of which living water flows. I am the one out of which living water flows. John, now some 60 years later, or maybe even longer, writes this in verse 39. He explains what Jesus was talking about. But this he, Jesus, spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So John takes this beautiful feast, this beautiful thing, this beautiful demonstration, and he now proclaims it to Jesus. Now, anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, out of him the Spirit will flow rivers, torrents of living water. This is one of the reasons why we preach the baptism of the Spirit, so you can be absolutely filled to overflowing. Be ye being filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled is a constant filling. And I've had this demonstration before. If I took a glass of water and I filled it up, it would come all the way to the top. 
And if I continued to pour, the water wouldn't go down. What would it do? It would spill over and still be at the top. That's the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit in us wanting to pour out and spill out all over the place and touch the hearts of so many. And that's what I see here. It's like in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul thirsts for you, O God, for the living God. We thirst for God. We want God. Jesus says, come to me and be filled. Come to me and thirst no more. That's what's happening here. They celebrated this beautiful, beautiful day, this gorgeous day, 16 through 18. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house, on their courtyards and courts of the house of God, and in the open square of the water gate, and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths, And sat under booths, for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, children of Israel had not done so. And there was great gladness. They were glad because they obeyed the word of God, and God was blessing them, and they were remembering. Also, day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. I love it. I love it. It's such a beautiful, beautiful passage about obeying the word of God and how blessed we are when we obey God's word. When it comes to Jesus Christ, the main command concerning Jesus Christ is to what? Believe. Our main God is to believe. Believe upon him whom he sent. Believe in Jesus Christ. That's the main command. Now, although we finish that chapter, I'm going to spend just a little bit of time on something that the Lord put upon my heart. The feasts that the Jewish celebrate, there are three major feasts. Three feasts. On these three feasts, all male Jews had to go to Jerusalem to present themselves to God. They all just came and stood before God and said, Here we are, we are your people, and there was a great celebrating, great feasting during this time. Two of these feasts have been fulfilled before they are very prophetic, and they were looking forward to They are all of them prophetic, looking to future events. The feast of Passover, commemorating that the lamb that was slain in order that the firstborn might be spared of death, was only an overshadowing of the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who was slain for us, that we might have life. That we should not perish, but have everlasting life, according to John 3.16. And thus, it was significant that Jesus was crucified during the peace of Passover in order that he might fulfill that feast, which is foreshadowed about the Lamb of God taking away our sins. So the feast of Passover has been fulfilled. The feast of Pentecost has also been fulfilled. It's called the feast of firstfruits. Fifty days after the Feast of Passover, they would go out and they would cut the corners of their fields, bind the sheaves, and bring them in and offer them to God as a wave offering. And this was saying, God, here, Lord, are the first fruits of the harvest that you have given us this year. Because the spring, the wheat, and the grains, and so forth, all ripen up in June over there. And so they offered God the first fruits of the harvest in June. At the Feast of Pentecost. And it was significant that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, as the disciples gathered in Jerusalem, suddenly there was a sound of heaven like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were seated. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances and ability to do so. And it happened on that day, the Feast of Pentecost, which again is significant 
3,000 people were saved. They're the first fruits of the church. They are the first fruits of the church of Jesus Christ, which we are part of. We are part of that church right now. But those 3,000 were the first fruits. So what I'm trying to say is the Feast of Pentecost has been fulfilled. It has been fulfilled. So the Feast of Passover has been fulfilled, and the Feast of Pentecost has been fulfilled. Remember what the tabernacle, Feast of Tabernacle, commemorates. It commemorates the wandering in the wilderness, but it also commemorates the covenant of God completed, the completed covenant of God coming to the promised land and now dwelling in glorious land of promise. The earth has been going through a long and wild period right now, but God is going to keep his promise. God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but he is faithful to us But there will be those days, scoffers say, where is the promise of his coming? Since our fathers had fallen asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning, Peter says. Not so. These are the things that you are taking into consideration. The flood. You're also not taking into consideration that God, well, the flood that God had, the catastrophes, entered the history and the situations there. Plus, you don't take in consideration the time dimension that one day is a thousand years to the Lord. God is not slack in his problem. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that many, many, many people believe that the Feast of Tabernacles is the last feast to be fulfilled, and it will be fulfilled when Jesus comes back. In other words, Jesus will come back during that feast time. Many people believe that, only because it's the only feast that hasn't been fulfilled. I'm not being dogmatic about it. No one knows the time, no one knows the day, no one knows the hour when Christ is going to return. But if you look at it the way I just explained it, it's plausible. It's plausible that Jesus might return, which means it would be in the harvest time. It would be during the September and October Jewish holidays. Those are the days that would be set aside. So the word of God was taken seriously by the children of Israel. The word of God is taken seriously by us. We've been given the word of God in its pristine form. And every time they uncover something, the word of God becomes more true, if it could possibly be. But the world doesn't believe the word of God. The world believes that men made up the word of God. How can all these books over thousands of years all be made up? They can't be. They're constantly being proved back in 59 with the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they're continuing to find scroll after scroll after scroll. Every time they find a scroll, they bring it, and it matches the Bible we have. It matches the Bible we have. They are excavating everywhere. They're constantly digging over there, constantly digging. And every time they dig, they dig up something that supports the Bible. Something that supports not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament. One of their biggest finds recently What's the city of Emmaus? Remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? They discovered that city. So they're proving the Bible all the time, constantly proving this is a true document. So my point is, when we read it and we understand it, it does something in our lives. It does something within our heart. It does something in our lives, and it helps us to grow. I know the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I understand that. And as our faith is built, as you become a fat tick listening to the word of God, and your faith is built, then we need to obey the word of God and go out and make disciples. Go out and make disciples and give away what God has given to us. 
give away the fullness of the riches of God that he's placed in us and he's given us. And as we go out, we share one to another and we share out there. And I remember the first time I ever went to a Greg Laurie crusade was back in 1992. Greg Laurie was coming to Philadelphia and he was coming on a crusade. And we were asked to go and possibly be on a team that would go down onto the floor and talk to people who were making decisions for Christ. It was in the old spectrum. If you remember the old spectrum, that's where the first one was. Well, I remember being at a meeting where we were being trained on what to say and what to do and how we were going to do that. And I remember somebody saying, I don't know what to say to anybody. I don't know what to tell them. And the the moderator said, just tell them what the Lord did for you. Just tell them your story. Tell them what God did did in your life. Tell them what you were and tell them what you are now because of God, because of the word of God in you. So we all can be witnesses of him. We all can be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Wherever you are, your workplace, in your home, with your neighbors, across the street, right next to you, at Wawa, at Walmart, Anywhere you go, at restaurants, walking on the boardwalk in Wildwood, walking on the promenade in Cape May, anywhere we might go, you carry the light of Jesus Christ with you. You carry God's word deep in your heart. And if you are filled with the Holy Spirit and have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have that boldness that you can go. And Scripture tells me, in Matthew, in Mark, Scripture tells me that if I don't know what I'm saying, if I don't know what I'm supposed to say, I'm supposed to open my mouth and the Spirit of God will speak for me. But I need to take a step of boldness and open my mouth and then let God speak boldly. And that's obeying God's word. And that's what we're called to do. We teach it here a lot. And we love the word of God. Oh my gosh, we love the word of God. And we teach it and teach it and teach it. And there's a reason for that. But time has come for us to begin to obey what God has called us to do. And do that with great joy and great vigor. And if you've ever shared the word of God with somebody and had them at least... Think about salvation. It's exciting. And let alone lead somebody to the Lord. Now, you might not lead somebody to the Lord. I told you about the time I was in New Orleans after Katrina, and I was serving with the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team, and we would go out every day. And the first day we went out, we had to keep a track of how many people we talked to. We had to keep a track of how many people we prayed with. We had to keep a track of how many people accepted Jesus Christ. We sat down, and we had a debriefing when we got back. And the guy, he was, he was really cool. He said, so how was your day? We told him it was wonderful. We got to speak. I said, well, we spoke to almost 200 people. We shared the gospel with about 150 of them. We gave out Bibles. We helped this. We did this. And we were glowing. And he said, how many did you pray with? Well, we prayed with all 200 people. He said, that's fantastic. How many people accepted the Lord? We went, nobody. And we just stood there because we didn't know what he was going to say. And he said, it's about right. He said, you plant it, somebody else will water, and God will give the increase. But your job is to plant. Your job is to plant. You can be blessed and have that salvation happen, and that's a wonderful feeling. But we're seed planters. We go out and plant the seed, and God does the rest. Amen? You are a Thank you for joining us today for A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave has been digging into the book of Nehemiah. This book chronicles the adventures of Nehemiah as he goes from being a cupbearer to a foreign king to leading people as they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. 
When he hears about the city lying in ruins, vulnerable to the world around it, Nehemiah was troubled and he prayed. When his moment came with the king offering him anything he wanted, Nehemiah knew first to run to the Lord in prayer. No matter who was on the throne in the world, Nehemiah knew that God remains on the throne of heaven and he maintains control over all of it. What's troubling your heart today? All you need to do is remember that God is God over all. Take your troubles to Him today. Here at Assure Hope, we would love to bring you to the Lord in prayer as well. Give us a call at 609-884-5821 and share your prayer requests with us. Once again, that number is 609-884-5821. We look forward to your call. Assure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Are you in the area? We'd love to see you this Sunday. Head on over to AssureHopeRadio.com to find our location and service times. Once again, that website is AssureHopeRadio.com. Well, that's all we have for now. We're so glad you decided to spend time with us here today. We'll be back soon with more right here on Assure Hope.